This is Coffee, Books, and True Crime. Hey everyone. Hey guys. This is Nicole. And this is Amanda. And we are Coffee, Books, and True Crime. Today we have a special guest with us. Her name is Alex. Tell everyone hi. Hi. <laughs> she's trying to pretend like she is shy when she's literally the biggest extrovert I know. So there's that. I'm not shy. Today's recording is going to wind up being in different parts, I do believe. We are going to be talking about DuPont and their C8 scandal. We have people that we have spoken to from family and friends telling us their stories. And our other sources for the story was Delaware Online, The New York Times, Vanity Fair, EcoWatch, FocusFeatures.com, C8SciencePanel.org. And then we have also have an interview coming up with a member of the Tenet family. And... Um, I know some of the things that I will be talking about heavily relates to the documentary, um, The Devil We Know, because that is something that I've watched recently. So if that's referenced, that's where I get some of my information. And also the motion picture. Wow. Why did I call it a motion picture? That was weird. (laughs) And also also from the movie Dark Watch that was just (laughs) released last year. Which I have not watched. Um. I have not watched Dark Waters yet. Yeah, I highly recommend. Um, the Hulk plays in it. He's the attorney in it. <laughs> Mark Mark after, after he's the Hulk, man. <laughs> he has a name. <laughs> he's just the Hulk. But after seeing the documentary and after hearing this story and us reviewing and researching, it's, yeah, I'm going to have to watch it. We have been in a rabbit hole for weeks researching this. We actually have brought on Alex on part of our research team because of how well she went through and researched this for us. Thanks, Alex. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Alex. You know, me and Amanda are still doing the full-time therapist and addiction recovery nurse thing, so we're unfortunately still (laughs) needed at this time. So Alex has really been stepping in and helping us with research and stuff, and it's been really awesome. For more than two decades, the people of the Mid-Ohio Valley have been in a silent war with the area's largest chemical plant, a plant that for over 30 years was knowingly poisoning its employees, its wildlife, and its community. And I think that, um, you know, for people listening that may think that this only applies to the Mid-Ohio Valley, as you're going to see as we progress this episode, this is a worldwide situation. That is heavily downplayed. It's not just the Mid-Ohio Valley. It's not just West Virginia. It's not just Ohio. And I mean, I am from the area, and it's something that I really didn't even know was a big deal. Like, I did not even know that the situation was as large or as, like, global as it is. I didn't either until I got to know Alex a few years ago, whenever she started her journey into all this. There may be a couple different times that... Alex especially gets a little bit vocal because this does hit her so close to home because it's if you know anything about this DuPont is local and she lived quite close to it so a lot of this really hits her so if there is any 
profanity that you know we normally don't have in here we apologize in advance and we'll try to edit it out but i'm also not going to silence alex because it does hit so close to home so had it not been for one man wilbur earl Tennant, who along with four other members of his family sued dupont in 1998 due to the loss of hundreds of head of cattle because of pollution from a landfill next to his farm who knows how long it would have taken to find DuPont's negligence and ignorance opened up one of the greatest class action lawsuits in the history of environmental law. But before we discuss the company, let's go back and discuss the actual DuPont family. It doesn't have a whole lot of relevance, but it's really interesting. And unfortunately, during one of the rabbit holes, (laughs) the DuPont family is just... it's, It's amazing. It's interesting. I know my dad, when he lived um, in Pennsylvania, Delaware area, that he had actually done work for DuPonters. And I remember him. So maybe that's another possible interview we do in in the future. I don't know. I don't think he did anything really close with the family. But um, I know that he has because he's talked about working for DuPonters and he calls them that. And I just specifically remember him calling them that the DuPonters. Pierre Samuel DuPont de Nemour was the son of a Parisian watchmaker and a member of a Burgundian (laughs) Huguenot family. Please, please do not comment us for mispronunciation. Please re-say that. (laughs) Please. Pierre Samuel Dupont de Nemours was the son of a Parisian watchmaker and a member of a Burgundian Huguenot. What? No, no, (laughs) Okay, we're not doing that again. He was a descendant of a minor noble family on his mother's side. He and his sons, Victor Marie Dupont and Eleuther Urini Dupont, came to the U.S. in the 1800s from France (laughs) and used the resources of their Huguenot heritage to establish one of the most noteworthy families of America and one of its most successful corporations, DuPont de Nemours and Company, initially established by Eleuther Urini as a gunpowder manufacturer. DuPont eventually expanded into dynamite paints, plastics, dyes, and materials. DuPont scientists invented nylon, Kevlar, and Teflon. The family doesn't run the company anymore, but still has quite a chunk of the shares. The DuPont family played a huge role in the United States with everything from politics to historic preservation. In the 18th and 19th centuries, the DuPont family assisted in negotiations for the Treaty of Paris and the Louisiana Purchase. Holy crap. I mean, I think this just shows how far back the roots of DuPont go. Like the Louisiana Purchase, holy crap. Be forewarned, listeners, if you start down this rabbit hole, it winds up tying the DuPonts in with the Kennedys, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the Rothschild, everything. The Lindenberg baby, I saw. <laughs> this. I mean, they are just people of power. I mean, yes, and especially in these times. Okay, so Thomas Coleman DuPont was an engineer and a politician. He was president of DuPont de Nemours and Company. He served two terms as a U.S. Senator for the state of Delaware. Henry Algernon DuPont was an American military officer 
businessman. You don't know Flowers for Algernon? No. Why would I know that? You've never read Flowers for Algernon? No. It's Algernon, not Algernon. Whatever, Alex. <laughs> She's not allowed to record with us anymore. <laughs> Henry Algernon DuPont was an American military officer, businessman, and politician from Delaware. He graduated first in his class from West Point. He served in the U.S. Army, earning the Medal of Honor for his actions during the Battle of Cedar Creek in October 1864. He was president of the Wilmington and Northern Railroad Company for 20 years and elected as U.S. Senator from Delaware, serving most of two terms. So I don't know how this keeps coming up. How does Wilmington, Delaware keep coming up in our podcast? I don't know. Amanda was born in Wilmington, Delaware. That's funny. And this is, like, literally probably the third time that Wilmington, Delaware has come up. It's so small. Who knew it had so much history? Yeah. And ties, and ties to DuPont. Yeah, that's... Wow. That's the crazy part. <laughs> Pierre Samuel Pete DuPont IV is an American lawyer and politician. He was the U.S. representative from Delaware from 71 to 77, and he served as the 68th governor of Delaware. What is with Delaware being so, like, this, everything? This is weird. Okay, that explains why we got so much information from the Delaware online. online. After an education at the Phillips Academy, Princeton University, and Harvard Law School, he served in the U.S. Naval Reserve from 57 until 60. The family has also played an important role in historic preservation and land conservation, including helping to establish the National Trust for Historic Preservation, preserving Montpelier and establishing many museums, including Delaware Museum of Natural History. Many members of the DuPont family have been involved in the breeding and racing of thoroughbred racehorses, as well as establishing racehorse venues and training tracks. They had their hands on everything. Yeah. The first Pierre Sam- Can I do a major, a major side note? Yes. So, um, and we don't have to put this in there, but we can. So okay. I know that um, I know that there is a recent bill going to the house um, regarding uh, giving more money to foster families to help children in foster care. And believe me, this relates. I know it doesn't seem like it does, but <laughs> uh, there was a budget of seventeen million that would be about about that chunk of money dedicated, but would not be. Because Governor Justice's family is involved in the horse racing scene. And, um, no, I'm sorry, Greyhound racing. Greyhound like the bus. Yeah. And so people caught on <laughs> and figured out that that money would be going toward Greyhound racing versus giving more foster families money. Raised holy heck about it. And suddenly they found the money to give to the foster families. Now, it might not be what they initially were asking for, but I do know that that is something going on in West Virginia right now. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I just have to say this. When you said Greyhound, like the bus, I imagine bus drivers wind oh <laughs> up racing their fucking buses. <laughs> Which, I mean, maybe, you, maybe you're onto something, Alex. You're on to something, Alex. We need to start this. <laughs> Forget podcasting. We're just going to start racing buses. <laughs> but, yeah, so just a side note of, like, when you hear horse racing and just kind of the underlying power that exists within th- those... That kind of field. Those sectors, yeah. yeah. The first Pierre Samuel 
advocated marriage between cousins to ensure honesty of soul and purity of blood. Several generations later, the reigning patriarch stated that the thinning of that pure blood by inbreeding was producing freaks. But the intermarrying cousins clustered around the original family value of incestuous relationships. By the 1920s, the close Delaware clan was the richest family in America, and as of 2016, they were still worth $14.3 billion. Oh my gosh, that is so, like, does that not sound so medieval? I remember my dad saying, well, you know that those, the DuPonters were, like, they practiced incest, and I was like, no. Like, really? I mean, they do. Yeah. Wow. Just to keep it, and it's, if that is not a testament to, like, power and greed, uh, yeah, and um, side note, they did not start out in West Virginia. Just saying, they were incestuous before they came here. <laughs> <laughs> Delaware. The Wait, I'm losing on both sides of this. <laughs> <laughs> the DuPont family have mostly avoided the public eye, though there's been quite a few outstanding scandals. In 1996, John DuPont shot Olympic wrestler David Schultz who had been living on the DuPont estate in Newtown Square, where his wife was head of security, dead in the driveway of the family's mansion. Now, I am pretty sure there's a movie about this. There I, is. I saw this. It, there is. Yes. It so, has Tatum uh, and Mark Ruffalo in it. Yes. Wait, oh, Mark yes. Ruffalo Mark again? Ruffalo. Every movie with DuPont, Wait, Mark Ruffalo's in it. The Hulk? It. Yes! The Hulk? <laughs> um, yes, that movie is very good. That movie's excellent, and I think it really is. Would be if you're gonna go down this rabbit hole, maybe even a good starting point, so you can get a feel of the Dupont family, and then just hit hard. Yeah. What was it called, Alex? Fox Catcher. Fox Catcher. Fox Catcher. Yeah, yeah. It's a good movie. I watched it when researching this. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, good movie. DuPont locked himself in his room for two days after the shooting, negotiating with the police over the phone. During his trial, DuPont was described as a paranoid schizophrenic and was sentenced to 13 to 30 years in prison on February 25, 1997. On December 9, 2010, John DuPont died of natural causes in a prison in Pennsylvania. On August 2, 1998, Patricia Margello's body was found in an air conditioning duct at the Del Mar Motel in Las Vegas. According to Henry Schlumpf, a special agent for the FBI, her body had been bound with wire and tape and covered with garbage bags before being placed inside the duct. Yeah, the police said that Miss Margello was also known as Patricia Howarth, and she was the girlfriend of Mr. McGuyan, the son of of Lisa Dean Mosley, a DuPont descendant who lives on an estate in Greenville. In this case, Christopher L. Mosley, the stepfather of the DuPont heir, Dean S. McGuyan, and husband of Lisa Dean, was accused of arranging the killing of Patricia Margello, who the police said was McGuyan's girlfriend. The police said Mr. Mosley confessed to the crime when he was arrested in Greenville, Delaware, as he was about to greet guests at the site of a golf course that he had proposed building. Three other people were charged in connection with Margello's death. I think what this is already demonstrating is the scandal within the family that we haven't even gotten even close to the situation of C8, and we're seeing all the scandal within the family. And how well it was hidden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, 
would have never known any of this without the movies and us researching and right the next Alex researching <laughs> Alex researching and to, you watched the documentary I mean that's all I did in 2009, Robert Richards IV was convicted of raping his three-year-old daughter after the girl reported the abuse to her grandmother. Richards entered a guilty plea. Instead of serving an eight-year prison sentence, which uh, isn't long enough anyways, nope. Judge Jan Jordan argued that Richards would not fare well in prison, but instead that Richard would benefit from treatment at a Massachusetts facility. That has since been noted that is usually only offered to drug addicts or those in possession of child pornography, not convicted rapists. Richards failed to do so. So, like, he raped his daughter. The judge said he didn't have to go to prison and he didn't even do the treatment. So, is Robert Richards the fourth? Is he a DuPont? Yes. He's a DuPont. Okay. Mm, yes. Well. That's infuriating, isn't it? During the trial, the news journal described the convicted rapist in this case. Richards, who is unemployed and supported by a trust fund, owns a 5,800-square-foot mansion in Greenville he bought for $1.8 million in 2005. He also lists a home in the exclusive North Shores neighborhood near Rehoboth Beach, according to the state sex abuse registry. His great-grandfather is DuPont family patriarch Urini DuPont, and his father is Richard is Robert H. Richards III, a retired partner in the Richards Layton and Finger Law Firm. Bo Biden, Delaware's attorney general, lowered the sentencing of Richards to probation. He claimed there was a strong oh chance of the prosecution losing at trial, making a plea bargain necessary. Details of this became public in 2014 when Richard's ex-wife sued him for damages related to the abuse of their daughter. In 2010, Richards admitted that he also sexually abused his son starting in 2005 when the boy was about 19 months old. The abuse lasted for about two years. Yeah, so he ended up, because he would not fare well in prison, uh, supposedly, and he ended up getting absolutely nothing. Am I understanding this correctly? Yeah, 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 because he didn't go to the the rehab. But here's my problem with that. Wouldn't fare well in prison. What is the point of prison? I mean, you're not really supposed to fare well in there. Uh, The power of money, that is absolutely disgusting. I mean, at least the first two, I mean, didn't get off free. Yeah, I mean, they did some some jail time. I mean, (sighs) wow. But pled guilty to raping his daughter and his son. And no time. And no time. And, like, I know, like, and I always come back to this that, okay, jail is supposed to be, like, a rehabilitative thing. Okay, well, if you're not going to jail to be rehabilitated and you're not going to treatment to be rehabilitated, we're just letting you back out into the world to do as, as you'd like. The stuff about the family isn't exactly relevant to the particular case that we're going to discuss with the C8 and everything, but it shows how far back this literal blood money goes. Yeah, like that the roots go back as far as the Louisiana Purchase, and it demonstrates that this family has been involved in scandal for some time. 
and have gotten out of it. Like, yeah, what's happened? They've yes. been able to talk or pay their way out of anything. Like lowered sentencing, and I just think that that's going to reflect that the situation that we're going to go into. And so the C8 situation is more of a, like a white collar crime, but it's still a crime. It's still true crime. And I think if you stick with us through, through these episodes, because we may have we may have to do a part two. We're not really sure how long this is going to be. Um, you're going to realize like just how much this story impacts everyone and how infuriating it is this the white collar nature of this crime so before we continue because this is whenever we're going to start getting into the nitty gritty and we really really encourage you guys to continue listening push through some of the words may be kind of difficult to understand and maybe difficult for us to say (laughs) but it will all wrap up at the end i promise this yeah i'm I'm giving this, Nicole the go-ahead on saying these words. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She's like, thank you. Yep. We will I be can using say the a- abbreviations. <laughs> yeah, hey, thanks. We, we will be using a few abbreviations just so I don't have to pronounce this every single time. So PTFE, which is called polytetrafluoroethylene is aka teflon pfoa which is perfluoroctanonic acid (laughs) aka c8 made by dupont pfos is perfluo oh my gosh perfluoro not fluoro (laughs) i like what you're doing with fluoro (laughs) <laughs> per fluoro octane soft oh per fluoroctane right yeah. fluorooctane sulfonate yeah. aka c8 made by 3m which is another big company involved and then epa check this one out environmental protective agency <laughs> okay so, so so the abbreviations uh, essentially are I don't know how you're gonna say that first one but PFOA, PFOS, and EPA. Yep. And those uh, are gonna be the main ones. PTFE. PTFE. And, yeah, PTFE, aka Teflon, PFOA or PFOA C8, and PFOS or PFOS C8 made by 3M. And yes. And yes, Teflon is exactly what you're thinking. Like nonstick pans. That is what Teflon is. And Teflon was created by a DuPont scientist. It was created in a lab on accident. In 1938, Roy J. Plunkett, a DuPont chemist, was experimenting with refrigerants when he discovered a white waxy material that seemed very slippery. The material turned out to be an inert fluorocarbon PTFE that had superior nonstick properties. In 1945, the company patented the chemical and registered it under the trademark Teflon, coining it as the most slippery material in existence. Due to its nonstick properties, instead of just using this in, you know, plants for like cleanup and stuff, they were like, hey, let's get these out in the homes. And Teflon became used in major cookware. Pioneer Woman, Paula Dean, Etc. are many of these companies that use Teflon. No shade, literally, just facts. Yeah, and literally just about any pan that is non that claims nonstick is, is Teflon. gonna have Teflon. Yeah. 
Like, I think there's even a brand that, like, the cheaper brand called T-Fall. That's mm-hmm. Teflon. T-Fall. Yeah. Yeah. And the Farberware has nonstick stuff. Basically, anything you use that isn't cast iron or stainless steel is going to have Teflon in it. Yeah. Generally. Okay. In 1945, DuPont purchased 400 acres of farmland in Washington, West Virginia, and by 1948 was producing over 2 million pounds of Teflon a year at its Washington Works plant in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Starting around 1951, DuPont began using another laboratory-formed chemical known as PFOA acid, or C8, so-called because it contains eight carbon molecules, to smooth out the lumpiness of freshly manufactured Teflon. So, Teflon didn't always contain C8. It still wasn't good for you, but it did not contain C8 until... 1951 is what I've what I've gotten from my research. An unusually durable chemical, C8 first entered the world in 1947, and due to its non-stick and stain resistance properties, its use as a surfactant spread with extraordinary speed. The white powdery compound, often said to look like Tide laundry detergent, ended up being used in hundreds of products, including fast food wrappers, waterproof clothing, FR clothing, electrical cables, and pizza boxes. FAS basically anything basically anything waterproof or water resistant C8 is known as a forever chemical so it can't be broken down by heat or water or you know in our environment yeah FAS FAS chemicals known as forever chemicals is a family of potentially thousands of synthetic chemicals that are extremely persistent in the environment and in our bodies PFAS includes the chemicals known as PFOS and PFOA. I know that this this is a lot of chemically stuff. I promise we get to a story that you guys just have to understand this part to understand the end results. These are all identified by signature elemental bonds of fluorine and carbon, which make them difficult to break down in our environment and our bodies. In the body, they primarily settle into the blood, kidney, and liver. Health risks at this point include liver damage, thyroid disease, decreased fertility, high cholesterol, obesity, (laughs) (laughs) obesity, hormone suppression, autoimmune disorders, and cancers. So, yeah, and like Nicole was saying, like, we kind of have to trudge through all of the science stuff because we're getting, we're, demonstrating how badly and negatively this affects the human body and the environment. So concerns about the potential toxicity of C8 has been raised internally within DuPont by at least 1954. So by 1954, DuPont thought there was something wrong with the C8. It led its own researchers to conclude by at least 1961 that C8 was toxic and according to DuPont's own toxicology section chief should be handled with extreme care. That was in the 2013 suit against DuPont. And I think honestly in my opinion from what I've like watched and what I know about it it seems like 1961 is really giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like I believe they had to have known and this is just my personal opinion but i believe they had to have known before the 60s how bad that this was for the environment so yes that's when it looks like 
it was official that they knew, given by the lawsuits, but in my mind, they knew way before that. I believe they knew. I believe they knew yeah. since at least the 50s. Maybe yeah. earlier. Yeah. So, DuPont had been aware since at least the 60s that C8 was toxic in animals, and since the 70s that there were high concentrations of it in the blood of its factory workers. But it wasn't until the 70s that DuPont researchers began to understand that C8 was building up in the bloodstreams of workers, and soon after they began to see troubling signs that the chemical could pose serious health risks. The stakes were high. The Washington Works plant where Teflon was manufactured was one of the biggest employers in the region. Again, I feel like they knew the risk before the 60s and 70s. And just because the document trail, that's all they could tie it to. Okay, so fast forward a few years and in 1981, the company ordered all female employees out of the Teflon division after two out of seven pregnant workers gave birth to children with birth defects. Exposure in utero may have the greatest effect on developing children and effects may last into adulthood. From Suzanne Piney, a professor in the Department of Environmental Health at the University of Cincinnati. In 1984, DuPont began to secretively collect local tap water, asking employees to bring in jugs of water from their own homes, schools, and local businesses. They discovered that C8 was making its way into public drinking water supplies in both Ohio and West Virginia at potentially dangerous levels. Minutes recorded at a meeting at DuPont's corporate headquarters in Delaware that year suggest a high level of concern regarding how this could affect the company's image. Heaven forbid the company has a bad image. In the years following that meeting, instead of slashing its use of C8, DuPont escalated production while keeping much of what it knew about the chemicals' dangers secret. The company's Washington Works factory continued with its usual practice of dumping C8-ridden sludge in unlined landfills, allowing it to enter the Ohio River and pumping out C8-laced vapors from its smokestacks. That, that is the moment where it all changed. The fact that once they realize we have an issue, instead of let's stand back, take a minute, fix the issue, it's eh, Like, that's an issue. That's not okay. So this all comes back to in 1984. That's whenever they are saying it was discovered to be into the public drinking waters because they were sneaking in jugs of water and testing them from their own homes, schools, local businesses, etc. And probably the different creeks and water source, like probably well water sources and stuff throughout that county. How do you do that? How do you look at your employees just like, oh, hey, I need you to go to your child's school and grab me some water so I can test to see if it's poison. I think they did a lot of thing. And unfortunately, DuPont was one of the heaviest employers in our area at that time and was the most money. Like, I feel like that's the reason no one wanted to come forward. Everyone knew. Everybody knew something was wrong, but I feel it was the whole "don't bite the hand that feeds you." Well, and I and and because of their ties to the community and how like well known they were, and how like everyone knows that you know they're powerful people mm-hmm. coming into the school saying, "I'm so and so with Dupont, and I need a water sample." They, I'm, I guarantee they didn't even have to give a reason. They heard Dupont, and okay, you just need a sample of our water, like. Whatever. Here's the bathroom. <laughs> Here's, here you go. 
DuPont scientists were aware in the early 90s of links to cancerous tumors from C8 exposure, but company executives failed to inform the EPA or the public. Concerns about the hazards posed by Teflon and C8 began to garner public attention only about 20 years ago. By 2003, DuPont had dispersed about 2.5 million pounds of C8 from its Washington Works plant in the Mid-Ohio River Valley area, according to a peer-reviewed study. The company's most appalling disposal practices occurred before the 70s when the U.S. environmental laws were first written and included burying toxic waste in drums along the banks of the Ohio River and dropping barrels of it out into the open ocean. It once caused a scandal when a local fisherman dredged a barrel up in his nets. In a more recent decades, burying it in local non-hazardous landfills. I have no idea why I just made the quotation marks. I've, do, I've <laughs> like done it too. <laughs> Wild. I mean, this is just... Like, we haven't even scratched the surface. And it's just, you're already getting toxic waste into the ocean. And toxic waste being in the river. Burying it. It's just... Wow. Yeah. And I don't think other than the West Virginians and Ohioans, I don't think they realize just how many people still use well water from their springs because that runs rampant in these two states that are affected by this. And if they're getting it from their wells, that means that it's a lot of runoff groundwater from their springs that have went through all this toxic waste. Yep. Like I that's the part that just gets me like it literally affects everyone but it will continue to affect everyone okay so let's let's keep going now information emerging from millions of pages of internal company reports revealed that several dupont scientists and senior staff members had for many years either known or at least suspected that c8 was harmful yet dupont continued to use the chemical putting its own workers local residents and the american public at risk along with a global scale. The documents show that signs of C8's toxicity began to emerge very quickly when DuPont scaled up the Teflon production in the 50s. The company's safety testing laboratory, the Haskell Laboratory of Industrial Toxicology, screened workers for signs of illness that might be tied to DuPont products. In 1961, Company lab tests linked C8 exposure to enlarged livers in rats and rabbits. In order to test the product exposure in humans, DuPont scientists asked a group of volunteers to smoke cigarettes laced with C8. Nine out of ten people in the highest dose group were noticeably ill for an average of nine hours with flu-like symptoms that included chills, backache, fever, and coughing. Here, guys, please smoke this cigarette, which, you know, was already bad enough for your health. We're going to lay some with C8. Why, why was that a thing? How did they get volunteers? I'm betting they paid. They had to have. I, I want to know how many people they included in this study. Yeah, like, they- how many people did they expose directly with laced cigarettes. Cigarettes in general are, are toxic, but laced ones with C8. Nine out of 10 people in the highest dose group. That to me says that there was more than just the one ten group of 10 people. I mean, I know in research that the magic number is at least 30 people to get a good, like well-rounded uh, curve. So, I mean, I don't know. That's just 
insane. Yeah. And it, this is why people a lot of the times don't trust scientists because people did stuff like this in the 60s. DuPont's own documentation specified that C8 was not to be flushed into surface waters, but the company did so for decades. The chemical seeped into the water supplies of the communities of Lubeck and Little Hawking, immediately west of Parkersburg, West Virginia, and the city of Belpre, Ohio, just across the river, and three other water systems. This is where we start to get into the meat and potatoes of what we're really going to be discussing. DuPont had purchased the patch of land that belonged to Wilbur Tennant, which included a creek that ran directly into the Ohio River from Tennant in the 80s, telling him that it would be used as a non-hazardous landfill. This was referred to as the Dry Run Landfill. Not long after the landfill got underway, the creek started to turn black and smelly. Sometimes there'd be a layer of foam on the water. Within a few years, 280 of Tennant's cattle, which drank water from that creek, had died. The creek was the cattle's main source of water. They had used it for years like that. And the I feel like it really shows the magnitude of it within a few years. I mean, within a few years that that many animals died. That is, and, that is like something out of a Stephen King novel. Like, that is a crazy amount and that's just the cattle you have to take into account the deer and the fish and yeah that he wasn't that he wouldn't have been keeping track of because his cattle that's his cattle but like like yeah like you said the fish the birds like what what else was drinking out of this water that just died in the area keep hanging on guys because we have an interview with somebody very important to this story that we can't wait for you guys to hear talk about this exact situation and their experiences living with the situation when the tenants cut open a cow to investigate the cause of its death they discovered that its internal organs had turned bright neon green video footage from the rancher shows Tennant and his family members suffered breathing difficulties and cancers. Tennant's attorney, Robert Bellot, forced DuPont to turn over tens of thousands of pages of internal company documents as part of the legal process in which he stumbled upon a chemical in which he had never heard of, PFOA, as we now know as C8. The chemical sounded similar to another one called PFOS, which had just been pulled off the market by its maker 3M, which, it should be mentioned, they supplied C8 to DuPont until 2002 when DuPont started manufacturing their own. So in my research, I discovered that the company 3M has also gone through a lawsuit just as big as DuPont's, and I believe it was in Tennessee, I'm not too sure on that. I think that's what you told me whenever you were coming up with that. There's two companies producing the same chemical, both polluting the oceans, the rivers, the creeks. I I like that you brought to the table that 3M is also experiencing lawsuits because in the documentary, it almost felt like they were like, well, 3M didn't do that. It was DuPont. Like, 3M, 3M made this, but DuPont is really the one that's heavily involved. So I felt like the documentary pulled the heat off of 3M. So to hear that there's a lawsuit 
also for 3M, it just brings together the this corporate power. The corporate powerhouses and what they are doing to us without our consent, knowledge, all of that. And 3M is something you guys Google it. It's what makes 3M your scotch, is everything. It's what makes your scotch tape. It makes your scotch guard for to starch your clothes and 3m also makes um certain medical supplies i know that they make um electrodes for if you're going to get a um ekg 3m is just as big if not bigger of a company than dupont so don't let people make it out that 3m is so innocent they're they're just as guilty in this but um so the lot made another request to dupont for all documents related to c8 The documents ultimately reveal a cover-up that lasted decades. In addition to research findings, copies of internal emails and documents included in all this were illuminating. One 2001 email described a scientist's warning that when airborne, C8 is so hard to deal with that it might require the public to wear gas masks. I mean, this smokestacks. This is dystopian. This is George Orwell. This is Stephen King. Like, this is, like, that level of just crazy. Like, things that you don't think will actually, are actually could happen that are happening. I mean, when you cut a cow open and its organs are, like, lime green, that's unnatural, to say the least. An email by DuPont's in-house counsel, Bernard Riley, gave an unfiltered insight into the company's legal effort to cover up C8's risk. In one August 2000 email, he wrote, The shit is about to hit the fan in West Virginia. The lawyer for the farmer finally realizes the surfactant issue. He is threatening to go to the press to embarrass us, to pressure us to settle for big bucks. Fuck him. So, again, like, this is going back to Tennant, the farmer, and... You know, he's the he's the little man, you know, he doesn't know anything and he's gonna try to screw us and F him. So it's just it shows how much they care. In two thousand one, while still working on the tenant case, the lot came to realize that the C eight contamination wasn't isolated to the tenant property, but it had extended across a large part of the mid Ohio River Valley. The chemical had seeped into the water supply of at least six public waterway systems in West Virginia and Ohio. That year, the lot filed a class action lawsuit against DuPont, Leach, and DuPont de Nemour and Company on behalf of about 80,000 people in the six water districts. He also reported his findings to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and sent along copies of over 900 pages of DuPont's internal documents. The EPA launched a priority review of C8. All of the documents ended up helping the tenant case, which DuPont settled in 2001 for an undisclosed amount and opened up one of the greatest class action lawsuits in the history of environmental law. Unfortunately, Tennant passed away in 2009 from a heart attack and never got to see the ripple effect he had created. And here we have an exclusive interview with a member of the Tennant family, Shayla McCormick. She is one of the granddaughters of Wilbur Tennant and actually grew up on this farm, grew up in this community, and has a lot to tell us. Here's her story. Our first guest that we're going to talk to is named Shayla. She is the granddaughter of Wilbur Tennant that we discussed earlier in this episode. Hello, Shayla. Hi, how are you guys? We are great. Thank you so much for coming on to our show. Shayla is one of the 
she is one of the truck drivers that's actually helping us all get through this coronavirus and we just were really thankful she was able to give us a few a little bit of her time to be able to talk to us about DuPont and its shady business yes thank you so much Okay, so my first question is, how old were you whenever you found out that DuPont was poisoning the water with the runoff? Um, it was something that happened throughout my entire childhood, so I don't really remember the first time, but I always remembered little things that Grandpa wouldn't let us do, like he wouldn't let us um, play in the creek, or he wouldn't let us do certain things like that, like that normal kids got to go do. and. He was very strict on that part, so I don't really have a specific age, but younger, it, was, it was definitely there for as long as I can remember. I mean, it sounds like it almost turned into kind of like just your lifestyle, like that's just how it was. Like we couldn't play in the creek because he noticed these weird things were going on with the water. Yeah. How old are you now, just for our listeners? I'm 27. Okay. That is a long time to still having to be doing this, considering how long this has been going on. Your grandfather started what some would call a war with DuPont. Was there ever any fear that DuPont would retaliate against him or your family? No, my grandpa was the type of man that didn't fear no man. Um, (laughs) He was very self-sufficient in his own way to where he didn't have to have that fear of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? He just knew in the back of his mind well why why should i be afraid when i i know i'm secure in what i have i know after watching the c8 documentary that that was definitely a quality that like and you could even tell in his voice that he was just like this is wrong this is happening i see this happening i don't care what they think so i thought that was super cool yeah a lot of people called him the crazy farmer that didn't know what he was talking about so I think he was one of the most well-educated people there I mean he firsthand saw this happening and documented it which was just an awesome awesome thing to do especially because you know people weren't taking him seriously obviously the upper ups at at DuPont when did you first hear about like the C8 and the C8 testing and all that was that around the same time of the lawsuit or was that where was everything kind of just a big bubble like didn't really have a start or end time it didn't really have a start or end I know I remember being in school and they were doing the the testing the blood testing but that was in the class action that was well after my grandpa's lawsuit but I will say that Grandpa went ahead and got his lawsuit done so quickly and so quietly because there was such a time restriction for Rob the Lot to get that deadline, that window of opportunity to, to get the class action lawsuit so more people in the community like the Kigers and Bucky's mom could do their class action so grandpa's was kind of like hurry up and do this so more people could benefit from it that's awesome yeah yeah i don't really have anything to say to that that was a perfect answer i Uh, really yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so kind of out of nowhere did did you guys know the kiger or the bailey family um i knew kiger from school actually he was a substitute teacher and i knew 
I didn't process him in my head until the movie came out. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I remember that teacher. I, I remember him in school. And I, I always thought that he would look familiar, but then I, it clicked with my childhood. I couldn't believe it. Stop. Speaking of your childhood, did you ever get to witness the strange behavior of the cattle on the farm yourself? Grandpa wouldn't put us in the position to experience something like that. If he knew something was wrong, he wouldn't let us go. But we did get to go feed the cows, and I have done biopsies with Grandpa with the cattle that had died, just just so he could educate us. And he he did the same thing with my mom and my aunt, just so we could educate us about what a liver is supposed to look like, what a stomach looks like, what it's not supposed to look like, and the teeth on the cattle and what they're not supposed to look like and what they should. Um, but no, he, he would have never put us in a position to where we were in danger. That, that is awesome. Yeah, but you guys got to actually like see the like different parts that had been contaminated and stuff. That's that's really neat. <laughs> he would never let us touch it, of course. Because no, we were but, kids. We liked yeah. that gross stuff. We wanted to touch it, but he would never let us. I wouldn't touch it. It's it's interesting to me to hear like the corporate people um, from DuPont and like what unkind things they had to say versus like just how well he was documenting this and that how the le- the the extent he was going to to protect you guys from exposure because he was very aware and I just cannot get over that because I just think that is awesome. I love that man more than anybody will ever know. He sounds like he was he was definitely with it, definitely with yeah. it more more so than they tried to like I feel like than they tried to make him out to be. Like some yeah. of the things that they had said in the documentary, it was like just corporate people not not caring about us down here was it just the cattle that was having those issues or was there other animals or wildlife as well um it was other wildlife he did notice like fish in the creek dying deer when he would take her hunting as an adult of course i was a very small child he would teach her the smell of things and she said several times they would gut a deer after shooting it to harvest it and it would smell weird or there would be spots on the liver and he would say toss it that ain't fit for eating and or how he would say it is it ain't fit to eat other animals were affected by it birds fish wildlife uh deer squirrels i'm i'm sure everything the leaves the plants let normally that you see grow on the side of the creek beds and stuff all of those were brown and like ass like acid burnt off it was something to be seen see i can remember at roy's house plants were dying and i don't know if you remember the year when a whole bunch of his horses died yeah I almost want to blame the C8 for that. And if it was in the water, and you guys so close to us, and Grandpa and Roy were pretty close, if he was using that water, I mean, he's so close right there to the river, too. So he's, like, between the landfill and the river. Because the landfill was butted against my Grandpa's property, 
and he noticed a bunch of foam and there were several chemicals in the creek it wasn't just c8 um so i mean there was goodness knows what was in there so you actually answered a question that i was going to ask and i was going to ask how close from where your grandpa lived was he to the sites because i know it was part of his land that dupont had bought but how close was he to that land that they were using to dump chemicals did that water run through his like property that he didn't sell uh yeah um the house wasn't close but the property where he put the cattle to graze was and it was literally dupont was north and the creek flows south and grandpa's property was south and the creek ran right through the center of the property and it started affecting a lot yeah that really like puts it into perspective because i wasn't sure if they were like alongside each other or if it ran like down into his property like like you said that's crazy yeah it ran right through the heart it was the main water source for all the animals Jim and Christmas. It wasn't just his farm; it was the adjacent farms to his too. And I don't, I don't remember the farmer's name that was next to him, but did he they knew go about after? Him. Did they go after Dupont too? No. Did they ever talk about like with your family the if they experienced similar things with their animals or their or their anything on their farm? I would think that the other farmers down the down the road did talk to Grandpa about it, but you were probably really know. still too young to be involved in that stuff at that time. I was, and when I remember being a child and asking Grandpa what he was doing, and he would always tell me, "It's above your head, my young lady." Aww. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. And it's still above my head. Right. So, Speaking of knowledge, what kind, and this really, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but what level education did he have before, whenever he started all this? He had a high school graduation. He had a high school? Um, yeah. When he was looking into documents and he didn't know what the word was, he would get an encyclopedia and look it up. He would he would sit there with encyclopedias and dictionaries. And if he didn't know, he would call. I'm assuming he would have called Rob Ballot and ask him, hey, what does this word mean? I can't find the good definition for it. So he was really just as involved in the research as even the attorney was. Yes. Yes, he was. Okay, now I have a question. So obviously we watch Dark Waters. Um, in the movie, the house was broken into. Yeah. Did did that really happen? I don't know that it actually happened. If it if it did, I can't say that it did or it didn't. If it did, it was something that Grandpa kept personal to yeah. to keep us at peace of mind. Okay. That makes so sense, but you know that was such a thing in the movie, and we didn't know if it was just for the theatrical effect or if Dupont had really raided into the house. house. Yeah, I don't ever remember that happening, but it, if <laughs> if it did, he kept it from everybody. 
Yeah, so that'll that's just speculation then at this point. You know, your grandfather's lawsuit was handled like so secretly that some people never even knew that it happened. Do you think DuPont was trying to keep the community from finding out? On a personal level, I think somewhat, but it goes back to grandpa's lawsuit getting done so quickly and quietly so more people for the class action lawsuit could benefit. Right, right. Was your family like ostracized for the lawsuit? Like were you, was the town upset or anything like that? Not that I remember. Yeah, because again, that was like theatrical in the movie Dark Waters as it made it out to, you know, that everyone was like not talking to Wilbur or anything. And by the way, guys, Wilbur and Earl are the same person. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And is it true that DuPont tried to say the cattle died due to negligence? Yes. Um, That was very much true. And that was something that really... um, for lack of a better term, pissed my grandpa off. Um, Well, I'm sure. I mean, he's only been doing this all his life. (laughs) Yeah, he, for somebody that grew up on the farm like he did and knew the cattle like the back of his hand and knew everything that should be happening, for them to come back and say it was negligence on his part, just... I'm sure that just went right through him. It like, did, and he, it, it made him livid, and I can't imagine, because I, li- I have a farm now, and I couldn't imagine somebody telling me that. Oh, Lordy, I have his temper. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's bad. I got a double dose of temper, too, man. It is not fair. <laughs> um, Was... Earl or any of your family sick before DuPont started the dry run landfill? And I mean like sick, like really diagnosable sick, not just, you know, your common colds and stuff. Um, no, I don't remember grandpa ever being sick <laughs> like that because he was, he was so active and it took a lot to get him down. It really did. And a lot of his problems started coming after the fact that the, the landfill came. Like he had COPD, he had emphysema and asthma. And a lot of that was because of the chemicals that was being put into the run. The, the vapors and the, and the mist coming off of the water and him breathing that in, it affected his lungs and, if, and then in turn affected his heart. And he had chemical burns on his skin, so he did have skin cancer. But it was all because of the water, because it was never like that before. See, and I don't feel like that was accurately represented. See, I haven't, I haven't watched Dark Waters, but at least in the documentary, it was they did not go into all of those things um, that he had going on related to the chemicals. And I feel like that just paints the full picture of what all he had going on because of this chemical. See, in in the movie Dark Waters, they put him in a wheelchair to to show you how sick he really was. Grandpa wasn't the type of person to go in a, to go anywhere in a wheelchair. Um, it was the theatrical effect of showing that this really got him down. Right, and the 
in the movie, he also, he's kind of snide to some people. Um, and he was never like that. And Alex's parents, Alex's family really can, can relate. He was never like that to people in general. He wasn't mad at the world. He was just pissed off that they were killing basically everything that he'd worked his entire life for. They were killing the community. Yeah. And he was gave me goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah, me too. And, I mean, he was a true blue West Virginian rancher. I mean, he had the farm. That was his life. That was mm-hmm. how he made ends meet, right? Yeah. He kept that place. And it wasn't solely by himself. My my uncles helped. But through my childhood, that's all I remember is Grandpa at the farm. Right. <laughs> um, What... If any, did your did your grandfather wind up developing cancer? Besides skin cancer? No. He had skin cancer, but he did not have any other cancer. Okay. My, but my I grandmother... Mean, your grandmother did? Yeah, she had cancer. And she, she actually died of cancer. Grandpa had a heart attack. A lot of people that research this find that grandpa died from cancer and he did yeah, not that's, see that's, that's what, what i, I read finding yeah, was that's he died of cancer yeah no he did not die of cancer did was the was him having a heart attack related to having high cholesterol because that was something that someone in the documentary had and had a heart attack because of i'm not going to say it was due to cholesterol i think it had a lot to do with that his heart pumping so hard because he couldn't breathe. Okay. So his was more of the respiratory stuff that yeah. led to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the family stayed pretty strong together. Right. Um, we just, you know, held on and did everything that we had to do and took it day by day. And earlier you mentioned um, the testing. Did, were you involved? Like, did you go get tested with the C8? Like, yes. for the C8? <laughs> Everybody <What>? did. <laughs> um, which water source were you and Alex, you can answer this too, were you guys considered being under? Because I know there was like six different areas, like the city know. of Belpreed, Lubeck. Lubeck. What it would have to the Lubeck water, but we yeah. ran off of well water. Because we didn't have what people call city water. We yeah. didn't have that. We had wells. And Which was right near we, the plant, so that was affected directly. Yeah, I mean, we. we thank got you so our much, Shayla. We appreciate everything that you were yeah, able okay, to tell us. And we can't thank you enough for giving I mean, us your time. Absolutely. Thank you so we much. We spent a lot of time together as children. But do you remember, like, never being healthy a day in your life like yeah you weren't sick but you weren't healthy i don't ever remember that because i apparently i have like a superhero immune system jealous i'm right (laughs) well water is something that i remember growing up that i had and it was something that was like in like my family's mind was safe like a staple of safety because we weren't getting city water and then to hear how you guys had also had well water and because of this chemical it's 
there there is no safe water and i think that's like something important about like this whole c8 situation is that nobody is like not affected by this which i just find literally blows my mind the whole world's affected by this they test eagles and kids in africa have c8 in their blood system and it all started with dupont it's in everything it's in press and seal toothpaste tubes your your toothbrush that you brush your teeth with every morning the 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 clothing that i have to wear to work every day water bottles i mean anything that you cook with unless it's stainless or cast iron which i switched to stainless and cast iron i highly recommend it for everybody you might not know how to cook on it it's a little hard to get used to but you can do it pioneer woman their entire brand is made with teflon no shade, I, just facts. Yeah, <laughs> no shade, just facts. Yeah. I, I love me some, you know, I love fine It's what I cook with, but it makes you wonder. I have all kinds of Pioneer Woman. I have all kinds, and I love her style, but I don't cook with any of her appliances because, with any of her, like her cookware, cookware because of that. I've stopped to tell you my my cast iron collection is massive <laughs> jealous. Jealous. I, have, I have two questions um the second one you do not have to answer for the podcast but the first question i have is what message do you want others to take away from this and that would be people in the area people you know across the country across the world like what do you think the message should be To not back down just because you think you're a small person. I mean, Grandpa thought he was a he was a small farmer in West Virginia, and he knew something was wrong, so he did something about it. And if you think something's going wrong in your community, don't be afraid to be that voice, because it can be done. I've watched it unfold my entire life. The entire world is affected by it. Even if they don't realize it. Yeah. In one of the documentaries, they did a study, and basically everybody's blood that they came across in this massive massive blood test that they had to do, this study, they, they showed the study in, in dark waters, and it, this is why it took so long to get the results back, is because they went so far back. But nobody on this planet back into the Civil War has C8 in their their system until now. You know, it's one thing to poison, you know, the world. But it's a whole other thing when you do it intentionally. And you know about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it was simply an accident, it would be different. But I mean, like, when they find out that it's, you know, what it is, let's just produce more. That's the part that really irks me, is that they started producing more. And they paid really close attention to the the documentary that had um, Bucky's family in it. His mom actually worked in the factory. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Aunt, and she said at one point they didn't know how much they had dumped into the Ohio River. Yeah. They lost track. Yeah. 
Is there anything that you would like to say to DuPont? <laughs> no. It's a loaded question. <laughs> and you can you can put this in the podcast. No, I have nothing to say to them because no amount of words and no amount of money will ever bring my grandpa or the people that they have affected back. Nobody went to jail for this. Am I wrong about that? No, you're right. You're right. No, nobody you're right. nobody went to nobody went to jail and the, I, the one documentary actually broke it down because they had like a 16 million dollar uh payout and i can't remember what it, what that was for but when you compare that to the sheer amount of money that they were making yearly it's literally pennies like it yeah. is not it's not significant at all and in the guy in the documentary was like i don't know what the price is for poisoning the world but i feel like it's not 16 million it's yeah. more than that no, they poisoned a whole community. No one's going to jail. They're handing out money. That's not going to stop it from happening again. And no. handing out money is not going to bring back the people that they have affected. The people no. that have no. cancer and the kids that are affected by it now. I, I played softball next to that plant for fucking years while this shit was going on. Yep. And it wouldn't surprise me a bit if some of those girls had problems. Shayla, we really appreciate you talking with us and giving us this side to hear because this we have been rabbit holing the whole DuPont situation for weeks now. I've gone into a rabbit hole of the whole family. It's been bad. I'm glad that I could answer some of your questions. I, I know that some of them were more powerful than others, but if you have any more questions, just let me know. We really appreciate it. And if any of our listeners have any questions, send us to us, send it to us in a DM and we can contact Shayla and, and follow up with her and get some of your questions answered too, because this, this is something that impacts the whole world. And if you've got questions, we've got time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Shayla. We appreciate it so much. All right, you guys have a good evening. All right, if we think of anything else, we'll holler at you, okay? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, in 2004, the Environmental Protection Agency filed a lawsuit against DuPont, charging it with concealing evidence about C8's risk for more than two decades. In 2005, the company agreed to pay $16.5 million as part of a settlement agreed with the EPA, the largest civil penalty ever in the agency's history. (laughs) <laughs> Which sounds like a lot, but as we previously mentioned, is change in the DuPont's pockets. That same year, DuPont settled the class action suit filed by Belot's firm for over $100 million, plus another $235 million if research funded by the settlement turned up evidence that people might be getting sick. Under the settlement, DuPont promised to install filtration systems in contaminated water districts, and put $70 million into a community health and education project. Which, I don't know if that ever happened. I've not heard of it. And I'm from the area. Same. I don't know. And in a rather unusual move, the company also agreed to fund a multi-million dollar health study overseen by independent, court-appointed scientists to determine whether exposure to C8 had actually harmed people. DuPont also agreed that if the study proved that C8 had caused certain diseases, 
those who suffered from diseases connected to C8 would be entitled to sue individually. So I know in the documentary they had speculated that DuPont had entered, had made this decision because they did not think that it would be linked, that they did not think that enough people would participate in a study for it to show that causal link. So they were confident that nobody's going to show up at the study and we won't even have to do anything because if they can't prove a cause because people don't participate they won't owe anybody any money because nobody could demonstrate that their chemical caused any issues well it really backfired for them when the majority of the population showed up nearly 80 percent of the surrounding community in west virginia and ohio showed up at the makeshift medical clinics Community members were more drawn by the $400 checks than the enterprising team of medical researchers offered to each person who participated. We are poor states. We are a poor community. That is what it is. And if you start offering families $400 right before Christmas... Per person. It doesn't matter if you're a family of 10. That's $400 per person. To be tested. That is a lot whenever it's right before there Christmas. Was, and yeah, and there was no way people were going to turn that money down. No way. Especially whenever essentially they look at it as, hey, this is a free 400 bucks. Get my blood drawn, I'm good. And this study ended up being one of the largest health studies that's been conducted. Oh yeah. The C8 science panel took seven years to complete its research. And they ultimately linked C8 exposure to six main diseases, ulcerative colitis, pregnancy-induced hypertension, a.k.a. preeclampsia, high cholesterol, thyroid disease, testicular cancer, and kidney cancer. The panel's findings proved that the chemical pretty much affected the entire body, even at low exposure levels. The researchers concluded that C8 posed health threats at just 0.05 parts per billion and drinking water for people who drank the water for a single year. They found that the average C8 level in blood samples from the Mid-Ohio Valley was 83 parts per billion. The average C8 level for those living closest to the plant, whose drinking water came from Ohio's Little Hawking Water District, was more than 224 parts per billion, compared to 4 parts per billion for average Americans. Okay, so I grew up 10 miles. It was 10 miles from DuPont plant to my front porch. Remember in the beginning of this episode, whenever we told you guys about our new researcher, Alex? She, you, that is going to come up. I was scratching my nose. On the pop filter. Well, I thought you were licking it, so. And there was no judgment. She was just letting it happen. I know. I was like, hey, you do you. <laughs> I was scratching my nose. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so you remember at the beginning of this episode, whenever we introduced you guys to Alec, who was going to be helping us with this episode? Well, Alex is actually involved in the C8 class action lawsuits. She has recently started her journey with that, but... The effects of the C8 on her has been occurring since childhood. Her and Shayla that we spoke to earlier were actually childhood friends. They grew up in the same area, went to the same school together. So she knew the Tennant family very well. And 
She herself has had some medical issues that she's actually going to go through with us with a little bit of help because she's a little bit nervous. (laughs) Alex, where did you grow up? In Washington, West Virginia. So it's 10 miles from DuPont. Oh, yeah. We just said that. She was literally 10 miles from her front door close to DuPont. Which is, is that part of Wood County, West Virginia? Yes, it is. So it's part of Wood County, and it's also very close to Parkersburg, where a lot of this, like, is referenced. I don't know, because I feel like Parkersburg, over like, the way people talk about it almost overshadows that Washington is actually where it is. It, see, that was my issue while researching. All my life, DuPont was in Washington. It's part of Washington. If you go, it's part of Washington. If you look up the address, it's part of Parkersburg. So, see, and that's the thing. And, and I feel like the community of Washington is not getting that light shed on it. Like, it is where the heart of the situation is, but Parkersburg is talked about as more of, like, the place. Yeah. Yeah, when it's really not. I mean, there... It was the Washington Works plant. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. It's literally called yeah. Washington Works. It's, uh, yeah, it's, so while Parkersburg was affected, I think that Washington is definitely overshadowed. So you actually lived and grew up in Washington. Yes. But you're very familiar with the Parkersburg area. I mean, yeah. that's such a small yeah, I community. Mean, Lubeck, Belleville, Washington. I mean, they're all the same. They're all the and same. And I, I almost wonder if they reference Parkersburg because it always seems like a lot of people know Parkersburg, West Virginia. Right. So maybe that's how. But I think that, you know, it should be emphasized that Washington, West Virginia, is where the plant is. Did you have any family that worked for DuPont? No, I did not. I knew people that did, but none of my family worked for DuPont. Did any of your family take part in the class action lawsuit? I believe my parents are, and my sister is in the process. Other than that, no. My grandparents both died. Just because this stuff happened, you know, years ago, they are... DuPont is still in the middle of this class action lawsuit with numerous families and numerous people. So if you are from that area and have experienced any of these kind of symptoms, you can still get checked out. Yeah, I actually work with some people that have had effects that sound very similar to like I know someone who has thyroid issues and very young and lived in in that area and I know somebody who also had I think it was a brain tumor I don't know if that was part of the diseases linked but pretty suspicious that they also yeah I don't think it was in the big six but it's still it's still addressed in some of the documents is brain tumors. Amanda and I actually also have a cousin who is currently just beat kidney cancer through surgical means that drank that water every day growing up. That was the water her family used. Actually, I just ran into her at McDonald's <laughs> and <laughs> she and we actually were talking about 
the C8 situation and, and her lawsuit. And she had said, you know, like I, that was all the only water I knew and I drank it and noticed such a noticeable difference between it and where she had moved to like that water that she would actually drive home to drink that water, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, but she didn't like how it tasted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you know something, though, that's like when people go from drinking well water to city water. I mean... You notice. You notice. So she noticed the difference, and I mean, it's not like she knew that C8 <laughs> was in it, but... I went from C8-contaminated water to chlorine-contaminated water, guys. <laughs> you did. My dad, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but my dad has had white, almost like, not like, little chunks in his water. My and this is have. something that, like, yeah. And see, and this is something that, like, I have talked to people from other states that had never heard of a boil advisory, <laughs> which made me laugh because how often do we in this area have boil advisories? It's like every week. Some they part. Didn't even, yeah. Yeah. They didn't even know what that was. They were like, what's a boil advisory? And I was like, uh, we have to boil our water so we can drink it because there's stuff in it and we don't know what it is. Taking it back to Alex, um, growing up, did you have any symptoms of something being wrong? I'm not talking just the common cold or the flu or... As a child, it never really processed in my head, I guess. But looking back now as an adult, I was never healthy, ever. Like, yeah, I wasn't sick, but I was never healthy. And even now, I'm not healthy. I'm far from it. I've been sick all my life. Did you have any neurological issues as a child? When I was around 13, give or take a couple years, I had a seizure. And that was just one. One. That was, that was it. I had an MRI. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. You're good. Go home. They did an MRI and didn't see anything. So it was just one of those... Like chemical imbalance. Oh, you just had a seizure. No problem. Yeah, Go home. You're fine. That's Rest. just something that happens. Yes. And now how old are you? 27. You are 27. Same 27. age as Shayla. You guys grew up. You didn't know any different. I now, mean, I knew that it was it was kind of common knowledge. You don't you don't drink your tap water. You you drink boiled water. You don't drink water out of the creek. But I just thought that was normal. I remember there was a year my grandfather, five horses died. And I can remember my grandparents, my grandfather was, you know, an old, old man. And he, you know, nothing's going to hurt me. Nothing's going to hurt me. And he would drink the water all the time, all the time. It didn't matter. And it smelled like sulfur. And at one point it almost looked like it was green. Which is funny, not funny at all. But which is curious, considering that is the color it changed the organs and the animals. Well, and I remember the first time I went to a friend's house that had water that smelled like sulfur. Like, I, I'll never forget this. She was like, oh, you want a glass of tea? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Fills this sucker up totally full. And I, I remember smelling it and almost like, oh my, like, what is wrong with your water? And she lived close to that area. And it did have that, like, sulfur smell. Like, it was very mm -hmm. off. And I was like, I can't drink this. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is, you know, disrespecting someone's tea is, that's offensive. <laughs> <laughs> that is offensive. And also, <laughs> whenever you think about that, that was off-putting to you, and we were raised on well water. Yeah. That yeah. has, it has some of, like, a sulfuric kind of scent, but not to the no, gravity was... of... Yeah, this was flat out sulfur. The second you turned the the faucet on, there wasn't even like a a warm up time. It was turn it on sulfur, turn it off gone. You have grown up in this area and you blossom into this young adult and then you fell pregnant with your little boy. You wanna tell us about I, that? I did, I did. Um I delivered him in August and that November I was standing in the living room holding my four month old child and I had another seizure and there hadn't been a seizure between that time when you were 13 to like big seizure like no. you would remember no um, before it happened between my delivery and the seizure I was really tired all the time and there was actually a point in time where I fell asleep and Elijah's crying didn't wake me up. And his great-grandmother tried to wake me up and I just, I was That makes really, me think you had a, maybe not a like grand mal or petite mal seizure, but maybe a just seizure a staring at that point. seizure. Yeah. yeah. And I went to the hospital. They did a CT that time. They didn't do an MRI. Everything was fine. They sent me home. Well, so this is the second time you've been turned away. Yes. And then, I believe it was the next day. It may have been a couple days later. I had another seizure, and I went to the same hospital. And they automatically admitted me because I had a seizure so close to one before with no diagnosis of anything. Of epilepsy or anything. And um, the, I'll never forget it. I had an MRI, and I was laying in a hospital bed. And a doctor walked in and he sat down and he said, hi, my name is this. You have a mass on your brain. It's a tumor. We're going to remove it. Any questions? So I mean, here I am. How I'm, old were you at this point? I wow. was 21. I was getting ready to turn 22. <gasps> I have a four month old baby at home and a doctor comes in and says, you have a brain tumor. Any questions? And at this point, they didn't tell you it was cancerous, no, right? They, just they, a mass. They never discussed anything. It was just a mass. And at this point, it's November. And he says, I want you to go home, enjoy Christmas with your little one, surgeries on this day. And it was scheduled for the last day in January on, in 2015. Was Elijah born with any deformities no. or anything like that? He was 100% healthy. He is now currently undergoing some testing. He has an MRI at the end of this month to find out his diagnosis with migraines. But as for like the facial deformities and things that have came along with no, he the, is he's healthy. healthy. Good. So he's how old and experiencing migraines? He is five. Five. Yes. And this has been about a year or so. Has he had any seizure like activity? No. No, just no. the migraines no, so since 
So you've had a brain tumor removed. Yes. What did uh, what was your reaction before you went into surgery? What did you tell your doctors? I asked how he was going to reach my head. <laughs> I'm not. He was like four foot five, and he's like. <laughs> and I asked him how he's going to reach my head. That was honestly my reaction before surgery. And then I believe his words were, "Don't piss off the surgeon. That's about to cut into your head." And you also <laughs> made sure to let him know he didn't need to leave a four-year-old, a four-month-old without yep, a mother. Oh, yes. That was actually the last thing I remember before actually falling asleep was, don't leave my son motherless. The last words out of my mouth. It was terrifying. I think having my son at home made it more terrifying. Yeah. But they didn't have you do actual chemo, right? No, I actually had a chemo pill. Uh, they never used the words cancerous. They they never, I mean, there was no talk whether it was benign, malignant, ever. And I remember a chemo pill and then going in to see my oncologist and him saying, yay, you're cancer free. And that was, that was kind and of And not, not knowing whether you did or didn't, all you Except, know now yeah. is that you're free of potential. Yeah, that I had a tumor, yeah. it's gone. So you have essentially been feeling the effects of DuPont's actions your whole life and now you're you're 27 and worried about how the effects might be affecting now your kids which is incredibly just awful so I guess I want to ask you the same question the same two questions that I asked Shayla and what what message do you want people to get out of this like you knew that was coming <laughs> I know it was you had, like an hour but like prepare. I mean like my honest opinion is fuck them but it, I can't say that I mean don't don't trust don't believe something just because someone says hey this is safe that's my biggest I mean when someone you're supposed to trust when a company comes into your home and they say, we're going to make this community better. And they do. They sponsor the schools. They sponsor the games. They, they do everything they can for a community. And then to find out that this company has been poisoning your entire community for the entire length of time that it has been there, it's frustrating. Knowingly, knowingly doing so. And you know what? I don't know why this made me think of this, but I'm pretty sure I have a t-shirt from T-Ball that DuPont sponsored. Oh, yeah. And I'm pretty sure, like, and that just shows you, like, how supposedly, how much they supposedly loved their community. And I love your message that, you know, if someone tells you something safe, you have to investigate yourself and I feel like that's what some you know that's what Wilbur Tennant did that's what Mr. Kiger did is they investigated it themselves and then now we know some deep dark things about a company that's been blindsiding a community for literal years so I think that's an excellent message so approaching a century (laughs) Yeah. I mean, with how far back the DuPont family goes, I mean, for years. Yeah. Is there anything you would like to say to DuPont? I don't think I can publicly say that. 
There and you know what? And yeah, you know what? That's okay. I, I'm okay with that response. I'm sure that listeners can feel this energy that it's it's not okay, and that the people that live there are not okay with how the, what has happened here. So, in summary, Alex had her first seizure at age 13. At age 21, 22-ish, she was started having seizures again. She was diagnosed slash not diagnosed with cancer, was told she had a brain tumor. (laughs) It was removed. Now she's having to worry about her child having these issues. And other members of her family have their own health issues, which we're not going to get into. But, you know... Well, they also have C8 symptoms, like the symptoms surrounding it. Un- unfortunately, in my circumstance, like this is something that I have to live with my entire life. Um, I wasn't able to work for almost two years. I'm still to this day not able to drive. If I miss one dose of my seizure medicine, I could have a seizure. It's, it's something I have to live with for the rest of my life. So on top of that worry and worrying about myself and worrying about my kid, like, I do have to worry about my family. My parents still live 10 miles from DuPont. My sister, my niece, you know, my family is still right in there. In that area. Right there. I mean, and I think in that area, but they are the, still but, right there. Yeah. And I think the most sickening part of this is that nobody's really having to pay for this. Like, no, nobody is truly being held accountable. Nobody is truly paying for this, whether it be money, not that money, money can't, you know, what amount of what dollar sign could help you having to deal with this every single day, you know, and nobody's going doing prison time for this. And it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I think that's what I want out of this podcast is for people to hear your story and hear the stories and hear what this company has done and challenge similar companies. Because Because of a company's negligence and their, it's almost disrespectful but because of that, and people have died. People have lost their lives. A lot this, of people This has died, affected we, the entire world. But yeah. they get away from it for, what was it, $16.5 million? Which literal chump change for this this family with, you know, one of the richest families probably in, in the world. In our next episode, we get into a documentary that we have, are going to review and tell you guys about. And the movie titled Dark Waters about DuPont. So if you guys have the time between now and then, make sure you guys watch that. Because that will get into the little wins that people did have. This isn't, this is very negative and I know it is. And it's hard on everyone because it it has the potential to literally affect globally. But there have been some small wins and we have to hold that for something. Absolutely. And the documentary is very well, very well made. Um, really good. Highly recommend. I highly recommend doing those things like like Nicole said before you listen because we are going to spoil both of those in the next episode. Yes, the documentary is titled "The Devil We Know" and it is available on Netflix. And then the film Dark Waters released last year, and I think you can rent that on, like, Amazon and stuff. 
I think. I may be wrong, but it's out there. Like you are, you are able to find it if you're looking for it. And it stars Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway. It's really good. So on that note, we are going to leave you guys this week. Not quite sure when we'll put the next part out. We normally try to do weekly, but with this big coronavirus that we're also dealing with right now, we might try and sneak you guys in an extra episode. So just keep paying attention to our Instagram for that. Our Instagram handle is Coffee Books and True Prime. Send us a DM, leave us a comment, share our podcast. Hey, leave us, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you guys leave us a five-star review telling us how much you like the podcast and what you'd like to see us do in the future now that we are officially on Apple, which is really exciting for us. Conspiracy. Tell us, tell us you love us. <laughs> yes, because we love you guys. And the support that especially our recent posts have gotten on Instagram just means the world to us. But we thank you guys for everything. And um, thanks, Alex, for coming on here and interviewing Absolutely. with us. And Shayla. And yes, thank you. We will probably see more of Alex. She uh, has a few different ideas for some episodes for us that she's been researching. So we'll probably have a few more with her as well. And so- we absolutely appreciate Alex's research. Um, she did just an amazing job and an in-depth dive of this whole case. So awesome. Yeah, we really, really appreciate her. So we give her a giant shout out for this. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. I'm just the fucking best. (laughs) 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 This is Coffee Books and True Crime.